0: To answer is human, to question is divine. Welcome to the World of the Hidden Gateway, an exhilarating podcast exploring the concepts humans have been struggling with since the dawn of existence, such as, who are we? Is there such a thing as good and evil, or are they arbitrary constructs? Does the paranormal exist? How can we evolve to a higher state? can our mind influence what we term as reality? Providing a transcendental approach combined with hard-nosed humanistic analysis, we invite you on a journey to question your worldview in this theater of life. Join our host, Justin Williams, as he explores the outer realms of faith, the supernatural, human potential, and even our concepts of the universal creator with a fascinating array of guests this is the unseen world magical mysterious and mystical where your only limitation is your imagination this is the hidden gateway
1: welcome to another episode of the hidden gateway podcast as always i am your host justin williams today's guest is a former nasa's physicist a conscious explorer and without doubt, one of the forerunners of simulation theory. He is the author of the My Big Toe Trilogy that unifies science and philosophy, physics and metaphysics, mind and matter, purpose and meaning, the normal and the paranormal, as well as shines a light on the common spiritual basis of the world's major religions, while placing belief, dogma, and creed into a bigger picture. He delivers information through his unique abilities and experience that you will find that you will not find anywhere else. Mr. Tom Campbell, welcome to the Hidden Gateway. How are you doing, sir? Doing fine. Uh, Thank you, uh, Justin. Excellent. So happy to have you here today. Been looking forward to our chat and we finally made it. So uh, this is going to be a good chat. I, I know our listeners is, are definitely in for a treat here. So um, just right off the bat, Mr. Campbell, can you uh, give our listeners just a beat, a brief background on yourself? And then from there, if you could please tell us uh, what made you want to explore scientifically the properties, boundaries and abilities of consciousness?
2: OK, um, well, I'm a physicist, um, have uh, you know advanced degrees in physics, did not want to stay in academia, decided to get out and work in the real world. Uh, if you've ever been in academia, you'll appreciate that differentiation <laughs> <laughs> of, of there's the academic world and then there's the real world. So I worked for probably before I retired, close to 40 years in applied physics, and um, Army Technical Intelligence, um, um, Missile Defense, NASA. Those are the people that hire physicists. So those are the people I ended up working for. So I I did that. And when I was a graduate student working on my Ph.D., which was uh, experimental uh, nuclear physics, uh, this is now back in the late 60s, so you see, i'm an old I'm an old guy. It's uh, that was a long, long time ago. but i I learned to meditate. And within a few months of of getting familiar and good with the meditation, uh, I found that I could debug code in my mind, you know, bringing up a a mental picture of the printout and the lines that had errors in them that would bomb the computer would be red as opposed to the black on white of the, of the rest. So I just let the thing scroll by and, Oh, there'd be a red one. So I'd back it up and I'd look at it. And since I wrote the code, I was familiar with every line. So I knew where that line was. Hmm. And back in the old days, that was really a big deal because I'm talking now boxes of punch cards, you know, not the sort of things that, that you're familiar with, but boxes of punch cards, like 4,000 cards. And, uh, there were lots of things that could go wrong, besides the fact that you didn't write the code right. Maybe the card's not in the right spot. You know, cards can get shifted, or the key punch that punches the holes in the cards could be just off a half a millimeter. And you wouldn't notice it by looking at it, but that, that bombed the computer. So in those days the computers were about as strong as your cell phone is <laughs> today, you know. So yeah. the whole the whole university was sharing this this there's one computer and you'd only get maybe one or if you're lucky two runs in a week and if both those bombed you can see if you if you had many bombs on your code it was going to take you months just to get a you know just to get a run out so having an ability to debug and and you know get uh, a much higher uh, percentage of good runs at the computer was really important So, that opened my mind from the typical physics uh, attitude that if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist, uh, which basically is what they call the operational definition of reality. And that is that if you can't operate on it, you know, do something with it. They say measure it, but that means, you know, somehow operate on it, interact with it, then it either doesn't exist or it's irrelevant. And I mean physically interact with it. Okay. Okay. So, that was... That's typically the way scientists look at reality. Now, I was doing this debugging, and I did it not just once, but you know, over and over again, and I knew that it was real and that it worked, and that just changed my whole attitude toward reality. At that point, I knew there was something else, some other dimension, some other aspect of reality that was mental, that was consciousness-based, and... It was just as real as the rest of it. So as a physicist, I wanted to understand it. I wanted to study it. I wanted to know why it worked, how it worked, um, you know, everything I could about it. So that was my introduction to, or I guess my interest first blossomed about, you know, about consciousness when I was in graduate school. And I took a job and uh, that was with the army technical intelligence making uh, physics models of of uh, equipment that was foreign and of course the us wanted to know what its what its achilles heel was you know how could it be beaten and how could we could ke- how could we keep it from beating us you know so we looked at foreign military equipment and see how we measured up to it and how we could if we had to need it on the battlefield you know what should we know about it and what could we do about it so that was what i was doing then and And my boss introduced me to the work of Bob Monroe. Yes. And uh, I thought, wow, you know, either, you know, either this guy's really got something going here about this larger reality that I've been curious about, or he's just making it all up and he's trying to sell books, you know, how Uh do you know? Uh So we got a chance to go meet Bob. It turned out he was, you know, he lived not that far away from where we did, so. We went to meet him, and at that point, he had just built a lab to study consciousness. He didn't know what to do with it. It was a build it and they will come kind of a thing for him. There he had go. no idea, but he was looking for scientists to help him study consciousness. So this thing that happened to him called out a body would be kind of a real thing. You know, it would be science, not just weird, weird stuff that uh, nobody could explain. So that's when I started my study of consciousness. I started working with Bob Monroe. Turns out he wasn't a hustler. He wasn't just trying to sell books. He was a very wealthy guy, you know, lived on this big uh, farm with, you know, whiteboard fences and horses, you know, running along uh, inside. You know, it was, I don't know, 500 acres. You know, this wasn't, wow. this wasn't a, a poor man that needed to, you know, make up stories in order to sell books. You know, the, so it was obvious. He was, he was real. So that began my study of consciousness. So that was right after I got out of graduate school. So my career as a as a, you know, a consciousness researcher and as a physicist both started at about the same time, you know, within a few months okay. of each other. And they kept right on going, you know, right up. Uh, well, I dropped the physics, but uh, I'm still doing the consciousness stuff because that's, you know, it's something that. You don't let go of you know it's 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 a part of your life it's a part of who you are so i'm still learning and figuring things out when it comes to consciousness but after about 35 years of working on it and when i say working on it i mean doing physics in the realm of consciousness because bob monroe taught me how sure. to get out into my consciousness you know to go out of body so to speak, and, I could do that accurately enough that I could do good science there. In other words, I could go there, do something that was evidential, like, uh, you know, remote viewing or, you know, gathering data or information on something or some historical thing, or whatever, and then come looking it up and see and if, you, if you got it right. And you, I could do those things and then change a variable, do it again. Change a variable, do it again. In other words, trying to figure out what, affected what? You know, what was significant? What were the things that allowed you to do it better or worse? Or why could you do it some days and couldn't do it other days? You know, what was, what was different? So about 35 years of that. And I thought I understood it enough to write a book. And of course, what I found out is I didn't understand it nearly as well as I thought I did, because once you start writing a book, you've got to be You've got to be very specific and logical. You know, you can't write fuzzy sentences because they <laughs> they just look fuzzy. You know, that's just right. obvious. It's just obvious that you really don't know what you're talking about when you when you write it down. When it's all up in your head and you're just talking about it, uh, you can wave your arms and kind of talk around it, and you still feel like you know what you're talking about. But what? But once you write it down, you're you really have to be. Rational. So I found a bunch of fuzzy areas that uh, I really didn't understand. So then I started working on those as I wrote the book. Oh, excellent. So about five years later, I got it all put together and published the book, and that was in two thousand and three, in February two thousand and three. So it's almost twenty years old. Right now, all yeah. right. So the neat thing is that basically what I did with this. This model of consciousness, which is what it started out, but since consciousness is fundamental and everything else is derived from consciousness, then I knew that I would be able to derive science, physics, okay. quantum mechanics, relativity. I could answer the the questions that that uh, physics could not answer if I really understood consciousness, and it turned out that that turned out to be true. So now I looked I looked at all the I looked at all the um, facts that I knew about consciousness from the thirty some years of studying it, all the facts I knew as a physicist about the physical world, And now I've decided what what model could I put together that would answer all of those facts, you know, would explain all of those facts. So that's what the my big toe trilogy is. It's basically that that model of consciousness that explains it all. So that's kind of who I am and how I get to be here. And I guess why you're talking to me because you're interested in consciousness and the hidden gateway, which means things uh, beyond the physical, things that we don't necessarily touch with our physical hands, but they're out there and they're real just the same. So my viewpoint is that, that consciousness is fundamental. And my model is that this this uh, physical universe that we're in is a virtual reality, a computed reality. Huh. In fact, scientists, physicists, at least the, the uh, quantum theorists and what they call particle physicists, atom-smashing type guys, they know this already, huh. and they say that reality is information-based. So okay. I think you'd find most of those physicists would tell you reality information-based. But that's as far as they go. They they can't take the next step because they can't really make sense of it. They can't justify it, and they can't explain it, so they stop right there with, you know, it's information-based. Well, what does that mean? If it's information-based, that means that it's computable. Okay. If it's computable, okay, and then we're talking about a simulation. If it's a simulation... Now, another word for that is a virtual reality. So, really, what they're saying is virtual reality, but they'd rather say information based because that doesn't get them, (laughs) that, that doesn't put them on the spot like saying virtual reality. But it's basically the same thing. So, I agree with that. And what I found is that I could explain, I could derive quantum physics from first principles and turn it into a rational science rather than a weird science. You, know, I could, you could understand why it works and how it works that way and how it couldn't be any other way than it is. You know, like, Why should particles, little particles, be best described by probability distributions? Well, this model says exactly why they have to be described by probability distributions. That's the nature of our reality. It's a virtual reality. It's computed by consciousness. So yeah. consciousness is the computer. And consciousness did not... Program our virtual reality consciousness evolved it. They evolved started, it. yeah, they started with a set of initial conditions and a rule set, pushed the run button and let it evolve. Now, everybody's familiar with those initial conditions and rule set. That initial condition is a, a small ball of plasma, high temperature, high pressure, uh, all squeezed into a little tiny spot, right? And then when you hit the run button, it expands according to the rules, according to the rule set. Those rules are what we call physics, you know, science, how things work, how things, how energy connects with others and interacts with other things. So that was done in a computer, and it was a simulation. And eventually you get, you know, suns and planets and earth and cells and plants and jellyfish and humans come along at the end of all of that. Hmm. So that is a is a um, evolved virtual reality not programmed. Now, why did it do that? Why did it evolve it? Because consciousness is an information system. And that's pretty clear. You know what what are you conscious of? You know what is what is your conscious? Well, it's just data. Data that you take in through your five senses. If we could turn off all five of those senses, what would you be aware of? Only one thing, and that is that you were aware. You'd be aware that you were aware, but there wouldn't be anything. There wouldn't be anything else. You see, so consciousness is really about information. You know, it's what are you aware of, and when you describe that the thing that you're aware of, then that's information that does that. You know, makes that description. So, anyway, an information system evolves by lowering its entropy. Now, what I mean by that, entropy is a measure of disorder. So if you have a system that has bits in it, if all those bits are disordered, there's no order to the bits at all. All the bits are random. That system has no information. Everything's random. If you order those bits in specific ways, now you get information. Those ordered bits stand out from all the random bits and you can make them symbolize something or you know, it means that you can give them meaning. And uh, so information systems, which consciousness is, evolve by lowering their entropy, creating order out of chaos, if you will, uh, creating um, uh, structure, creating uh, more uh, connectedness among things. Yeah. that That creates information. All right, now the system evolves by lowering its entropy. So it wants to make more information. It wants to grow deeper information, more important, more significant information. And if it de-evolves, then the bits get more random. And if it de-evolves too much, then it's no more information. It dies. It's a dead information system. Now all the bits are random. So it evolves by creating patterns you know that's that's order creating patterns within the randomness patterns of patterns and then it events it events regular time which is just a pattern going on off on off on off like a metronome and now they can create sequences and eventually the the, the rate at which the system could evolve slowed down. It kind of always does that. You have kind of like a, a new thing going, you know, and then it you use all that up and then the rate of evolution kind of slows down a little bit. Interesting, it gets okay. asymptotic. So it slowed down. And what the system did finally was that the system, of course, has to have free will. Otherwise, there is no change. Okay. You know, there is no growth. There is no evolution. If you don't have free will, then you you, you don't have choice. If there's no choice, then nothing takes place. <laughs> so it's, a, it's like a you know it's like a null system you know that nothing happens in. So you have free will, you have choice, you have time, you can't have choice without time. you know you have before the choice after the choice. so without time you also have nothing. So consciousness, free will and uh, time all kind of come together. they're all necessary uh, you know logic none of them can exist if they all don't exist. You can't have free will without time okay. free will requires choice and you can't have choice without time and so on. So, any case, so it created a subset of itself. And if you're into computers, that would be, that subset would be like a virtual machine. You know, just a, it partitions okay. off a piece of itself, you know, to be like itself, but a small piece. Okay. And it did that. And it, it also gives that piece free will. Now you have two things, each with free will, interacting with each other, and suddenly the possibilities grow because you don't mm. really know what that interaction is going to do. Okay. So then you make lots of them. So you make thousands of them or millions of them, and they're all interacting with each other and with the system, and and suddenly you have a huge amount of possibilities of what that can be like. You know what that could what could they all create together? You know what kind of entropy reduction would that would that you know, could that uh, produce? And of course, if you think about how does a social system—that would be a social system—how does a social system uh, lower its entropy, optimize itself? Well, it does it by cooperation. If every one of those uh, those uh, individuated units of consciousness that I call them that have free will, if every one just went off on its own, did its own thing, and didn't communicate with any of the rest, well. Th- that wouldn't be much. You know, the whole system isn't going to make much in uh-huh. as much as they can cooperate and work together and care about each other and so on that lowers entropy. That's allows them to form uh, things, to build structures, to to do things together that uh, you wouldn't do by yourself. So now we have this consciousness system with its individual units of consciousness and they're interacting sort of like in a big chat game, you know, because that's what consciousness does. It communicates, Mm -hmm. it gets information, it processes it, it sends information out. Well, in that big chat game, it wasn't, it just wasn't much traction there on, on lowering entropy. You know, it's just uh, no consequences, at least no meaningful consequences. You could say anything and, you know, <laughs> you know, you could lie, you could tell the truth, you could do whatever, but there really wasn't any consequences, big choices, because the way we individuated units of consciousness grow is by making good choices. Okay. We make good choices, a, a choice toward lower entropy, you see? So that's what we do. So now, the system needed an environment that had more traction, it had more more uh, consequences than this big chat room in order for there to be more meaningful choices. Therefore the the pieces could learn, could grow, could evolve more readily. So that's why it got those initial conditions and that rule set together and created a virtual reality. Okay. That's what, that's why our universe was created. That's why the virtual reality was created. And you know, that, uh, that, cre- that then was something that the individuated units of consciousness could log on to. They could log on just like you log on to Zims or World of Warcraft or some other virtual reality. you know okay. logging, on- logging on means that you talk to the server and the server talks to you. Mm-hmm. Now, a virtual reality, no matter where that- no matter what kind of virtual reality it is. It works just the same way. That is, you have a server that serves up the virtual reality, computes it. You have a player, okay, that makes all the choices for the avatar. And that's the way all virtual realities work. So you compute an avatar. It's just a computed thing. So it doesn't really have anything that makes choices on its own. It's just something computed. But then you have a player that makes the choices for the avatar for the avatar that, okay yeah that's how that's how virtual reality works so we are not this body we are consciousness we're an individuated unit of consciousness this body is an avatar and we as consciousness make all those bodies choices okay so it kind of we kind of think that we are the body you know because right our experience doesn't have anything more than what we got with this body. We took a piece of consciousness that logs on. That means that it it uh, it agrees to make all the choices for that particular new infant, say, and it doesn't start with any of its intellectual memory. It only starts with its quality of consciousness, with what it's how far it's evolved so far. That's what it starts with. So then it logs on and is immersed with that avatar so because it doesn't have any of its intellectual memory with it just its quality then it thinks that it is that avatar because that's the only thing it remembers so okay. it believes it is the avatar so that's why we think we're the avatar wow. so now so now I've given you I'll kind of stop here because I've, I've given you the the thumbnail sketch that was very sketchy You know, and I I know people. People listening to that will think that guy's crazy. You know, but if you read it or if you get it in detail, that's all derived and it's derived logically. You know, it's derived as science, not as something I'm making up. You know, it, it all starts with just two assumptions, and that's that consciousness exists. Which, since we're conscious, that's not such a big stretch. And that evolution exists; a system will change to improve itself according to its constraints. You know, so that's that's the only two assumptions I have. And from those two assumptions, I uh, derive all this stuff uh, logically. So MBT, My Big Toe, that trilogy is really a book of science. But it's a science much like, it's a science of evolution, evolution of consciousness. And it, it's sort of like the evolution of, of life on Earth you know you give you give a biologist a cell a living cell and he'll evolve from that cell he'll tell you how everything on this planet evolved you know all the plants the people and the critters and he'll explain why dolphins have little finger bones in their in their flippers and things you know he'll explain why that why that's like that so it, the the science of evolution explains how we evolved here in this physical reality. You know, remember, our physical reality evolved. It's an evolved physical reality. So I do the same thing. I talk about consciousness, and I start with the simplest idea, the simplest concept of consciousness. And from then, I evolve everything up to what we have now. And with that, I then explain quantum physics, relativity, uh, why the speed of light has changed slightly over the last Oh, I don't know. Hundred years since we've been able to measure it. Is that uh, right?
1: I didn't know that. Yeah. Has it gotten yeah. faster or slower? Well, a little bit of each. Gets a little, gets bit a of little each.
2: slower, a little faster. Yeah, it only changes in about the eighth decimal place. You know, it's not a big change. Okay. It's it's much. It's pretty much a constant, but it changes just little bits, so that we can measure it, say, to the tenth decimal place. Mm-hmm. So a change in the eighth decimal place is a real change. You know, it's not just. That were you know, different, me- you know, it's not measurement error. It's a real change, but it's small. Well, the reason for that is, is a, a simulation doesn't use any more resolution than it needs, right? If you have a, si- a, a simulation of something, you only want to, the amount of re- resolution you have, you know, how fine a dot, you know, do you have, how small are your pixels? Uh Well, the finer your resolution, the more crunching you have to do, the more computer resources it takes. So you don't want any more resolution than you require. So when our uh, scientists started digging deeper and deeper into the little details of our reality, the system had to raise the the resolution a little bit. And the way it did that is it made Delta, you know, a simulation has an outer time loop. So that every delta t, every little chunk of time, it recalculates things. You know, things are moving. So I got something moving, and this delta t is here. Next delta t is here. Next delta t is here. You know, that's motion. And the delta t gets so small that the motion looks smooth. So that's the way you calculate a dynamic simulation. And there, you also have the smallest space called a pixel. You know, you can't, you don't compute anything any smaller than that. Well, as it turns out, you take the a pixel the Uh, uh, what do we call it? A quantum of space divided by a quantum of time, which would be the Planck length divided by the Planck time. And you get the speed of light. That ratio is an important ratio. It's the speed of light. That's as fast as anything can move through the virtual reality. It can only move one pixel for one Delta T for one, you know, quantum of time, one quantum of space for one quantum of time. And that's the speed of light. That's why the speed of light's a constant because this is a virtual reality, and you can only move one pixel for one delta t. No faster than that. To go faster than that, you'd have to teleport. You know, move like ten pixels for one unit of time. But now you're you're disappearing one place and appearing someplace else. That's that's not the way this reality uh, needs to work. You know, wow. it needs it needs to be continuous. So that's why the speed of light's a constant, and as long as you keep that, that ratio about the same, then your speed of light's always going to stay about the same. Okay. But let's say we want, to, we want to raise the resolution. We want smaller delta Ts and smaller delta Xs. Okay. Now, if we took, a, if we took a, the delta T and made it only half as big, and we took the delta X and made it only half as big, then we'd still get the same ratio. We'd still get the same... Velocity of light, C, right? Right? You follow me? Delta X gotcha. over delta T. If you multiply, if you divide each one by two, then you, the ratio is still the same. The fraction is still the same. Cool. So it wants to do that, except it can't just divide things by two. This is digital. It can only change things by a certain number of, of pixels for the distance. You can't say, well, this is mm. something in a pixel and a half, there is no pixel and a half. You either got to stop at the pixel or you have to add another pixel. Okay. See? So because it's digital, you can't just divide it by two because you may end up with a half pixel someplace. You have to take it to the nearest pixel. And the same with the time. You can decrease it to make the ratio of delta X over delta T the same you know, speed of light, but you can't make it perfect. So wherein you have those little mismatches of pixels where you can't get it between pixels that's why the speed of light changes a little bit it's because the resolution of our virtual reality has uh, needed to be increased because we start smashing atoms and doing other things the system needs to compute it at a you know a a little more level of detail so that's something that physicists have found the speed of light just in it Eighth decimal place, like I say, or something. And I don't know if it's the eighth. I don't remember the details. But, you know, I'm giving you the, 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 some, something close. It uh, it's changes just a little bit. Well, that's why. Now, there's another thing that uh, is interesting. And that is there's in our universe, there's like four or five constants that are very important. And if any one of those constants, and gravitation is one of those constants, gravitational force, if any of those constants were to change even in the say eighth or ninth, tenth decimal place, the universe wouldn't be here. It would it would go unstable. In other words, these constants seem to have been tuned just to create this stable universe. Amazing. So we look at the physics. If gravity were just a, you know, eighth decimal place, a little stronger. Uh, it wouldn't work. Wow. A little a little less strong, it wouldn't work. So there's a set of constants that all are tuned for this thing to work. Well, that's a big mystery. That's a big paradox in science. Just like, why is C a constant? You know, I just said that because it's a virtual reality. You know, it has to be constant. That's a big paradox in physics. Um, so why do we have these, these constants? And you can look up, I think it's called the anthropic principle. Physicists call it something similar to that and it'll tell you what these constants are and it'll discuss the issue if you google it and the reason for that is think about the system trying to create the the uh, initial conditions and the rule set to make this virtual reality well it had to do that by trial and error all right big digital bang take one Oh, it collapsed. That didn't work. Okay, let's crank gravity up just a hair. Uh, big digital bang, take two. Uh, it got a little further this time. It's still you know, not long enough, so we'll twist this a little bit and twist that. So in order f- to get the simulation to work long enough to evolve the things it needed to evolve, which was eventually you know, animals and critters like us, it, it eventually, the, the system tuned those constants just by trial and error to get the thing to work. Okay. so that's that's why we have this set of constants that uh, need to work and there's a whole lot of other things like that that uh, this model answers that you know physicists can't answer like where does time come from? where does charge come from? where does space come from? you know what do you mean we are our universe is expanding what's it expanding into? Hmm. uh you know how do you make more space you know to expand it it's, you know what's going on there and these are all mysteries these are paradoxes in in uh, science and why should it be accelerating that expansion? well science makes up fudge factors like uh dark energy you know and, and dark matter because otherwise they can't explain it so they oh. make up they make up these things just to make the equations. You know how it is when you, when you were in school and you, you knew what the right answer was, but what you did didn't get it, so you just add the right amount to make it <laughs> to make it come to the right answer. Yeah. That's, called, that's called a fudge factor. Okay. that's basically what the dark you know that's what that dark energy is. you know it's like a, it's like a fudge factor that the, they look at it and say, well, it just doesn't make sense. But if we say that there's this dark stuff that nobody can see, touch, see, smell, you know it's invisible stuff. Then, uh, then then, we can make the equations balance all right. But that's not the case. It's, it's much easier to explain in terms of, of virtual reality.
1: How Fascinating. Do you, get,
2: you, know, you can explain all those paradoxes much more easily. Um, science, let's say, doesn't know where charge comes from. This is, is, you know, what, I mean, they'll say, well, quarks may have, various charges, you know, and you, and you may have, you may take an electric charge and break it into pieces, but then you just have the same problem. Where do those pieces come from? You know, where do the quarks come from? Mm-hmm. So they can't really tell. They get to a point where stuff just exists because it exists. And that's time, space, charge, spin, mass, all of these things, physics will tell you they just exist because they do. You know, they're, they don't have any reason for them. There is no material causality that creates them. So that's almost mysticism when you say things are just because they are. Interesting, okay. So that's at the very base of physics. So physics kind of has some mystical assumptions at the very root of it because they just don't know where they come from. But my model says exactly where they come from. Time is that delta T in the loop right? that keeps the calculation going. You know, mass, space are just calculations. They, they use the same equations that we've dug out. You know, we've dug out what a lot of those equations in the rule sets were. We've understood some of those and uh, they're just being computed. So that's, it's just a different model and it it explains everything that physics now knows. Plus it explains a lot more. It explains all the objective universe and all the subjective universe as well. So this model isn't just a model of the objective world. I'd call that a little toe. That's what Einstein was working on. (laughs) He wanted to to, uh, get uh, relativity and quantum mechanics. He wanted to find what was the overarching science from which those two things, relativity and quantum mechanics, both belonged because he knew those two things weren't fundamental yet it wasn't the top level because those two things have some assumptions that that uh, well let me put it this way each one of them has an assumption that the other one denies mm-hmm. so they have some some philosophical problems between quantum mechanics and relativity they don't you know they don't really get along that well uh logically so he knew there was something else above those, you know, in the hierarchy of, of causality, something else derived. You can derive both of those from it. And that's what he called a toe, a theory of everything. Hmm. But that was just a theory of the physical world, physical universe. Okay. Whereas my, my toe is a big toe, which means it also derives uh, a science of the subjective, which means it will explain why, you know, why you're an unhappy person or why you're a happy person mm-hmm. or, you know, what's, what's the, uh, you know, what's right and what's wrong. Uh, morality, all of those things that tend to have a big subjective component. It explains all of that as a science. So that's the kind of the soft side of my big toes that it explains what our purpose is, what our what's their point? Why are we here? Which I already mentioned we're here lower entropy what does lower entropy mean did we say caring cooperation working together that's what it means so we're here to learn how to behave ourselves and cooperate with each other you know it's the sort of the love side we're here to to uh become love that's that's what we're here for oh and, boy is
1: this world struggling doing that nowadays i tell you <laughs>
2: oh yeah <laughs> But it it's been crazy. struggling. It's been struggling what for about two hundred thousand years since you know humans started walking around, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been struggling. But it's yeah. been getting better. If okay. you go back and look at the the condition of humanity, what two hundred years ago, three hundred years ago, it was a lot tougher place then than it is now. Okay. I mean, we look at it now and say, "Oh, this is this place is really you know." whacked out, you know, all this violence, all this self-centeredness, all this greed. And uh-huh. yeah, that's true, but it's still a lot kinder and a lot gentler and a lot easier for most of us, not necessarily all of us, but for most of us, uh-huh. it is than say 200 years ago or, or longer. So we are growing up and we are improving. And it's interesting to think that now, since we have, the internet has developed in this, what we call what the the information age kind of got out of the industrial age into the information age for the first time. We have an opportunity to actually make some big strides forward in this, uh, reduction of our, of our entropy in this becoming loved and caring about each other. Right. We haven't done a whole lot with it just yet, but at least we have the possibility. Whereas before we, uh, it was really difficult you know the, this understanding of, of how reality works you know isn't isn't new with me you know you have the the buddha like 2500 years ago said our reality was an illusion well i say it's a virtual reality it's pretty much the same thing there's been people who have understood it but they've never been able to get in the mainstream it always stays in the margins it hasn't been the mainstream way but now we have the Infrastructure and the ability for it to go mainstream. And we'll just have to, when it does, like all big transitions and and paradigm shifts, there'll be a lot of turmoil. We'll go with it, but we have a good chance of coming out the other side with a much, much kinder, gentler, equitable, sustainable world in which
1: to live. Now you mentioned you mentioned the Buddha, and and, in past interviews, I heard you talk about Buddhism. Buddhism as Mm -hmm. well is that something that you embrace?
2: Well, my my uh, understandings about the nature of reality encompass, you know, I'd say they subsume Buddhism. In other words, um, but they do more. They they go a lot further. So I do not have any. Um uh, beliefs, my system, you don't have to believe anything in my system, and I don't have any creeds or you know things to learn or memorize or that kind of thing. So and mostly Buddhism doesn't either. Mostly Buddhism right. is just an intellectual, uh, uh, you know, what's what's this world about and you know, how should we be living our lives? You know, it's more of an ethical system than it is a, a religious system, but they talk about the, the, the source in terms of God's. So that makes them a, a religion, but yeah, Buddhism and and my big toe get along quite well for the most part, okay. in general. But there's some differences between mm-hmm. them, too. You know, it's not the same. Mine's a more general theory. Buddhism doesn't derive quantum physics and doesn't tell you why, you know, c should be a constant. You know, they're, so they're different. But as far as the the general attitudes that encompass. The, the best of Buddhism, which is that that's, that's uh, uh, you know, all about love and caring and peace, you know, then we get along just fine. Same with um, a group called the, um, what is it? Um, idealists. Idealists also are, are kind of a, a subset that, that falls under MBT. That okay. uh, I agree with them most of the time. Well not all the time, but we see eye to eye on most things. And another group would be those that say that uh, we're all one. Okay. You know, we, we are one. And that's true because we're all one piece of this larger conscious kind of system. So I would agree with that. Those are the uh what do they call themselves? The
1: uh um the universalists or no? No, that's not it. It's um I don't know, it'll come to me a little a little later. I'm curious to know: Were you raised in a uh, either like a Christian or Catholic home, or, or did you have any type of religion when you uh, when you when you grew up? Did you go to church or anything?
2: Yeah, my parents went to church, but uh, you know, by the time I was, I don't know, fifteen or sixteen, hmm. I was wondering what any of it really meant. You know, it, it seemed <laughs> yeah. it seemed really confusing to me. I was beginning; I kind of outgrew the dogma part of it. But yeah, I grew up okay. in a My parents belonged to a Christian sect called Disciples of Christ, or First Christian. it was a, it's a Christian sect that was trying to unify all the sects by having kind of a plain vanilla, you know, set of of uh, of uh, things it believed in, so that all the sects could kind of find a home there because it it just had the the typical things. It was created by by uh, some folks in Scotland okay. and then it, it came over here when a lot of religious differences headed to the new world you know it, it came over here too so yeah okay. I grew up in that so I yeah, was put in church went to Sunday school did all those things but you know I'm a I'm a scientist i I have to have I have to have understanding I have to have logic right. I have right. to have things that make sense mm-hmm. to me otherwise it's like eh, it's a nice idea but what can you do with it if it's not rational, you know, if it's not logical? So then right. it's a matter of belief. You can believe in it or you don't believe in it. Right. And I, I came to the conclusion a long time ago that belief is a problem. Mm-hmm. If you believe, you're trapped. If you believe something, then you will no longer have your mind open to accept other things. You, okay. close, you close off a part of yourself once you, make, you know, once you believe something. So it's better to believe nothing have no beliefs, to be skeptical of everything, but to be open-minded. So you can say, well, I don't believe it, but I don't disbelieve it, because disbelieving is just another form of belief. (laughs) That's that's not getting out of belief. That's just another belief. You know, I believe it is, I believe it isn't. They're both beliefs. Mm -hmm. So it's better just to say, well, I'll be skeptical. And this kind of makes sense to me in a way, so I'll give it a 50-50, fifty-fifty. Or I'll give it. That means you don't really know. Or I'll give it a ten percent or a ninety percent. Right. Keep it. Keep it out there as a possibility, but don't believe it or not believe it unless you have personal experience that will show you, you know, whether that's true or not. So, very, very
1: good. Yeah. Yes, so that's my
2: attitude toward life and toward science. So my, one of the th- little things I say often is, you know, if it's not your experience, it's not your truth. So all these things I've been telling you <laughs> like if that. you've not experienced any of them then they're not your truth they can't be your truth. Yeah. And I and I don't ask you to believe them. Matter of fact I'd say don't believe them because if you believe them now you'll when you go try to find out for yourself you'll need to have an open mind. You don't want to have my ideas in your head. But you want to be able to hit that experience fresh, you know, and just take it for what it is, for what it means to you. So it's better that you don't believe things. Now, what I've done is I have a model and a model is not judged on how believable it is. It's, it's judged on how well does it explain things? Okay. So this model explains pretty much everything. And I've been looking for years, still looking for things that it can't explain and, I found a few things that it didn't explain, but then after thinking about them, it did explain them. I just had never thought to develop it in that particular direction. You know, like those. Uh, you know, why you know the speed of light changing. You know, I first heard that in a in a in a uh, presentation that Rupert Sheldrake did, and uh, he presented that, and I found out that that indeed was true. So that was like, oh, geez, I've never heard of that before. You know, the speed of light changing uh, a little bit. Gee, I wonder if my model predicted it, and it took me about five minutes to realize. Well, of course, you know? <laughs> nice. it has to. You know, okay. the the resolution doesn't stay the same always; it changes as as it's needed to keep the th- the throughput uh, at, a, at a at a minimum. So, so far, all the things that it didn't explain have become explainable. Even the chaos theory is explainable. Uh, like I say, uh, quantum physics is explainable. Speed of light. just lots of things. There's, there's probably a list, you know if, if you look at a a virtual reality, well, that's another thing that's explainable, and that's the the big Bang, right? Where did the big Bang come from? Well, if you're a physicist and the universe started from a big Bang, well, that's right. nice. Now tell me, where did that ball of plasma come from? Right. Well, it didn't come from here because here it didn't exist yet, right? It hadn't right. evolved it hadn't evolved yet. So it wasn't from this universe. That means there's something outside of this universe that did it somehow. You see, so that's a thing that's not explained, but my model explains that too. Well, it was just a initial conditions and a, and a rule set set up to create a virtual reality. So that's where that big bang came from. So we get back to the point of where did consciousness come from? And you you get back to that. Where did consciousness come from? And I take consciousness to the to its smallest unit, but where it comes from, I don't know where it comes from. But that's not a failure of understanding. That's logical. I can't know. And the reason we can't know is that we are consciousness. Oh, okay. We're consciousness. Right. You know, we cannot see ourselves being born. We cannot see, we cannot see whatever where we come from because that's us. We can't get outside of it. You'd have to be outside of the consciousness system to be able to have some experience, some kind of firsthand knowledge of how did that conscious system come to be. You can't get that from being inside the system because, you know, because we only we only occurred after you know that system occurred. So it's always like that. Anytime you have a beginning, you know that thing that began, that began, it can't be aware of its own beginning.
1: Okay, makes it's just
2: sense. A, it's just a logical problem. So okay. we can't really know where consciousness comes from. But now we can, we can guess, and we can wave our hands and do some conjecture, which people have done. And if you go to um, the philosophy department at Berkeley and look up um, um, Cellular Automata, you will find a a very you know, a lot of pages there. And if you look at that part that also consects with consciousness, you'll see that they have a theory, and it's interesting. I found that after I had my own idea, which was very similar to theirs, because it's Basically the only thing that works. That's why I ended up with it. They end up with it. Anybody else that thinks of it ends up with that too, because that's kind of where you're led, you know, when you're doing conjecture. It's kind of the place where you have to start. And they make a really good case for uh cellular automata is a is a thing that evolves. It's really a process fractal, and it evolves based on a simple rule set. And it can evolve into all sorts of things. If you want to know about that. Uh, Google Game of Life, Conway's Game of Life, it's a cellular game. automata. Okay. Anyway, you take that and you take a uh, uh, let's see, you take a thing called uh, emergent complexity, and what that says it's another it's another mathematical science. Um, cellular automata is also a mathematical science, but another one is is called this emergent complexity, and what that says is that if you have the potential for something. Even though nothing exists, if the potential's there for it, eventually there's a just over time something will appear, complexity will appear in that thing just by chance. You know, a couple of particles will just bump together in a way that they stick and form something. Now they got a little structure. And that structure then can make other things can stick to that and makes more structure. And eventually you have something that builds. So that's a, and it, it's all wrapped around probability theory, you know, given the, given the, pos, given the possibility, how long does it take that possibility to actually create an actuality, you know, if you have, if you have potential to start with. So it's a, it's a mathematical thing. So you take those two and put them together and you have something that could have created consciousness. Okay. So it. The, the creation of consciousness is not a what infinite regress. Well, what created consciousness? Oh, this did. Well, then what created that? Oh, this did. Well, what created that? And so on. It goes on and on and on forever. It's not like that. Consciousness just got created out of out of uh, of of nothing, I shouldn't say nothing, out of potential. Okay. Uh, Where did that potential come from? Have no idea. You see, now we're asking questions that are, that are logically beyond our ability to answer okay. because we're consciousness and we can't get outside of the consciousness system. Now, I can get outside of this virtual reality. That's what out-of-body is. But I can't get outside of consciousness. Consciousness is what I
1: am. And I want to ask you about some of your out-of-body experiences. And, you know, that really hits home with me because uh, early on you mentioned uh, Bob Monroe. And Mm -hmm. I started meditating for the first time in life back in 2020. And I started doing the Gateway Experience Voyage, Uh you know, Mm -hmm. that I I simply found it on YouTube. And I tell you what, Mr. Campbell, it has really been life changing for me. You know, it Mm -hmm. has uh, given me uh, a different aspect on a lot of things, you know, and that's one reason why I asked you about how were you raised, uh, you know, in regards to going to church, mm-hmm. you know, like for me, I was a kid who went to church three, four times a week, you know, uh, in a, uh, Pentecostal, uh, Ooh. family, you know, yeah, heavy and, duty. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. like you, right around the teenage years, I kind of got away from it, uh, you know, believed in God and, you know, still do, but I am of the mindset now that anything is possible. I don't subscribe to, uh, you know, the whole Jesus Christ as the, Sacrificial lamb, etc. You know, um, I just have a, a totally different view on things. Mm-hmm. And meditating and, and learning about uh, the Gateway and Hemisync, etc., has really opened my eyes. And mm-hmm. just it just brought about a lot of questions. You know, well, if the Bible says this, God is this, is this, and why is this, why is this, mm-hmm. and things just didn't add up. It just didn't make mm-hmm. make any sense. So my thoughts and my beliefs definitely align with, with what you've been talking about. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I want to. Oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's interesting when you bring up God and
2: religion. I was uh, once giving a, a talk, and the venue for the talk was a Unity Church in Atlanta. Okay. They had a big—they had a big room, you know, hold a lot of people. So we rented that room, and they happened to be the—I uh, don't know what they call them—the pastor or the reverend or whatever—who was at that church, plus his assistant. They both had PhDs in theology, so. I took the opportunity to put them on the spot. And I said, hey, you two theologists, just tell me, what are the attributes of God? Will you list the attributes of, of God for me? And I said, I don't want dogma. You know, I don't want it to be sectarian. I just want what are the general attributes of God? And they took a while between themselves talking about that. And they came out with a list with maybe five or six things on it. And the reason I asked was I wanted to compare it with the attributes of the larger consciousness system. Okay. It matched perfectly. Huh. Every, every attribute they said that was an attribute of God was also an attribute of the larger consciousness system. So I found that I have people who are, uh, very, uh, pleased with my big toe. They're, they're very happy to have found it. And they're also very religious, you know, and mm. from their viewpoint that, you know, the larger conscious system and God's all the same thing. Yes. You know, so they see that as a—they see MBT kind of derives God, if you will, as the as the larger consciousness system, that, that source of which, you know, everything else is constructed. So that fits. Now, the difference is that in my theory, like I say, there are no beliefs, there are no creeds, there are none of that, and the larger consciousness system— is not supernatural. In my theory, it's a natural system. Okay. Consciousness is a natural system. Mm. It's not infinite because nothing can be infinite and real. Infinity is just a concept, but no real thing can be infinite. So the system's finite. Okay. If it's finite, then it has finite resources and finite things it can do. You know, it's not infinite. It uh, is not always right. It doesn't always, it doesn't always make the right choice because... It's got a lot to keep track of, and okay. it doesn't necessarily keep track of all the details, because it's a real system. You know, now it can focus and find out details, but it's it's not. It doesn't know everything all the time. It can know pretty much everything, but it has to focus, just like we do. It works sort of like us. We're a small version of that. Remember, we're the we're the uh, the uh, emulated, uh, you know the emulated consciousness within that larger consciousness system. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our characteristics are its characteristics as well, except it's so much more evolved and more, you know, has more uh, going on for it than we do by such a huge margin that that's hard for us to imagine. But in any case, so it's finite. It's not perfect. It's not done. It's still evolving. We're all still evolving together. And we, we, uh, Individuated units of consciousness are part of its strategy for its own evolution
1: because as we evolve, it evolves because we're it. Mm-hmm. So I've always said that. I've always said, at least for the last couple of years now, that we are for you know, consciousness or God, whatever we want to call it, that we are God or consciousness having this human experience. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. used to think that, okay, I was a human having this godly experience or this conscious experience but then I realize it's actually the other way around right yeah. kind of what you said at the beginning you know when you talked about um, being a conscious uh consciousness or part of the big the big conscious uh you know uh, machine or creator however mm-hmm. we want to how, however we want to word it and another thing I want to ask you about are NPCs and for those that are listening that may not be aware with the acronym it's non- playable characters and I want you to tell me a little bit about that and I had and how do you how can you tell who they are? I had a guest on late last year, and she said that she's able to tell who they are um, due to um, when speaking with them, when engaging with them, they have the lack of ability to go deep. And she said that was a big indicator to her. What, what are your thoughts on that, in, in, in just in general,
2: yeah. NBC? Okay. Well, I wouldn't agree with that. I would say they could go as deep as they need to go. Now, they don't have to go deep if that's not their mission, most the NPCs that are here are things that the system puts here for a purpose. You know, it's, they're not just here just just to have them. You know, they're here for a purpose. Um, and if that purpose requires depth, then they have depth. If that purpose doesn't, then they don't. So, you know, that's not a general, you know, a, a, that wouldn't be a general way. Basically, you you can't tell them apart because what is an NPC? Okay, this is a virtual reality. and well, what are we? We're pieces of this larger conscious system, right? And we each have our own free will. So we're here and we're interacting. We're playing the, we're, we're making all the moves of our avatar, making all the choices. So what is an NPC? An NPC is a character that's logged on here because that's the only way you get into virtual reality that you're logged on to some, to some avatar, right? So it, it's logged, logged on. It can create an avatar if it likes because it runs the server. You know, the server can do pretty much anything it wants in a virtual reality. Right. So it can create an avatar, and the larger consciousness system can play that avatar. So if the larger consciousness system is playing it, then what's that difference than us? We're really a piece of the larger consciousness system, you know, too plane and avatar so these npcs are different in that they're just sent in here to do something that's needed and then they go out again so then don't necessarily start you know from a baby go through a life you know die and move on sort of thing they just show up here for instance um um you know the old lassie movie right you remember that i don't know if you're old enough but you uh, said lassie Lassie, yes. Do you yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Remember it. his old movies, you know. Well, you know, Timmy, Timmy falls in the well, right? Yeah, and uh, and uh, he's he's gone, and nobody knows where he is. Mm-hmm. So he's out where he shouldn't be, and he falls in this well and gets stuck. He can't he can't get out of it. And some, uh, you know, after a day or two, Timmy comes back into town, kind of thirsty and hungry and <laughs> a little beat up from falling in, but he's okay. And he tells a story about some. Stranger came up to the, you know, looked down, found him in the well, threw a rope down for him and pulled him up right. and dusted him off and made sure he was okay and pointed the direction of how to get back to town and, and left him. And of course, nobody ever saw the stranger. Nobody else met a stranger. Right. Nobody knows anything about a stranger. Well, that's an NPC. It wasn't, oh. it wasn't Timmy's time. Having Timmy die in the well was it going to be a big entropy increaser not an entropy decreaser for a lot of people. So the system can just send in an NPC and take care of Timmy. Uh, There was a guy out in the woods that I read about. This was just evidently not not that long ago, who was out hiking on his own, was climbing rocks. Rocks shifted, pinned his arm, couldn't get loose. He was stuck there. And uh, same sort of thing happened. Somebody shows up you know, by themselves, uh, tells him that in a little while, some people are going to find him and, uh, you know, gives him some water to drink. Um, uh, he was about ready to give up and let go of life. You know, he'd been there for, I don't know what it was, three or four days. And he was right on the edge. So kind of gave him a little bit of help that he needed to, to hang on for a while. And then, uh, there was some other hikers that were in the area and for some reason they just got this, this, uh, this idea that they wanted to go that way, get off the trail and go over there and see what was over there. And of course they find the guy. Well, the system gave those other hikers a nudge, go over there. And it saved that guy who was about to expire. And when he gets there, you know, nobody, nobody knew that guy. He's not still there anymore. The one that helped him out, you know, he's gone. So this this fellow tells him about him and then he notices something. He says, well, you know, there was something really strange about him. He was wearing dress clothes. <laughs> he wasn't, a, you know, he didn't have boots on, you know, wow. he had street he had street shoes on. Uh, and a pair of khaki pants and a and a, you know, like this, you know, a shirt. He wasn't dressed like a hiker. He wasn't carrying a pack. Hmm. You know, he was just there. So that's an NPC. So you have those kinds of NPCs that the system puts in and they do their part, and they they leave. And you can have some NPCs that are here just to just to look around, just to uh, – and they're from other places. And the reason I say that is I can do that in other reality frames. Hmm. This is not the only virtual reality. Oh, I know. The the system doesn't put all its eggs in one basket. So, you know, you have have consciousness, which is fundamental, and that's real. Everything else is a virtual reality. Any reality in which you can experience, like all your out-of-body realities – You can experience in those. In your dreams, you can experience. Those are all virtual realities. When you die, you go to a transition reality. It's another virtual reality. The only thing that's fundamental is consciousness. And some virtual realities have loose rule sets like our dreaming reality. We can fly. We can teleport. We can do all kinds of things there. The rule set's pretty loose. But where you have the tight rule set, then it seems more physical. Because there's a physical causality determines everything that's possible. And there are so se- I've been in several of these, probably, I don't know, maybe dozen, a little more, of these physical like realities. And if you've got a good working relationship with the LCS, you can actually take on a body there and walk around and be with those people and interact with them. But you have to obey the rules. You can't make any fusses, you can't create any any Dysfunction in that system, you know. You have to get in at a place that is that is nobody notices. You have to get out in a way that nobody notices, and you have to basically not leave any, you know, not leave anything behind. You've done that. You've gone to another reality and taken Uh, on a body and yeah, in and out unnoticed. Yeah, I've done that multiple times, but you have to get the the LCS, the larger conscious system, to implement it because they actually have to put you in that rendering engine you know in that piece of the the system that's computing that virtual reality has to put you has to insinuate you in it so that's but mostly you go to places like that you just watch them it's like uh you're aware of them you can see them you can hear them but they don't really see you you don't take on a physical body there now that's easy to do you can do that on your own to get a body there you have to get the system to put you to put you in so you need a like I say, a good working relationship with the LCS, you only earn that with time. You know, it, mm-hmm. you can you can get that. So I imagine if I can do it, others can do that too. Mm-hmm. So there are probably those that come here and they're just looking around, seeing how it works, uh, learning a little bit about, you know, the larger reality. But they're put there by the system. So they're not just renegades coming here to make trouble. You know, it's not like that. That, that would not. Happen. Correct. That would not happen. So they're just here for that. So that would also be an NPC. That would be, it would seem like an NPC because it doesn't belong in that reality frame. It's not not native to that reality frame. But it's still somebody's making its choices. I'm still making the choices for that. The larger consciousness system is making the choices for the guy that got Timmy out of the well. Hmm. So that's why I say, you know, how much depth is. Necessary, you know, and and if you meet them, so I wouldn't think that that's a way to tell. Mostly, you can't tell because they're the same thing we are. They're 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 computed. You know, the physical part, the the avatar is computed, and it's computed just as well and just as perfectly and just as whatever as as we are. It's also computed, and either an individuated unit of consciousness or the LCS itself is making the choices. So it's, you really can't tell the difference between the, you know, the people that are, uh, that are not kind of organic to hear and
1: the people that, that are, they all look, they all look about the same. Got it. Now, in regards to what people may call gifts, right? Because as I said previously, I started doing the the meditation gateway Hemisync back in 2020. And then I became aware of certain things, right? I became aware of uh, clairvoyance where I was... you know where I'm now able to predict things, and things just you know come to me, and and I've did mm-hmm. done this repeatedly. You know, sure. reading people, and even mm-hmm. I had one experience with telepathy as well, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. with With my wife, we did this exercise, and I literally read her mind, and we both were were in awe. Mm-hmm. So, is that the consciousness as well? Yes. Is, yeah, okay. that's consciousness. Yeah.
2: Consciousness has two different paths, in which it can. Process information. Two different ways of being. One of them is intellectual, and that basically uses logic. The other one is intuitive, and on that intuitive side, it does not use logic. It's beyond logic. It's not rational. It's you just know. Things come into your mind, and you just know them. Yes. You don't know them. You don't know them for a reason. You just know them. They're just there, and yeah. and you can you can develop that intuitive side uh, with practice. Now most of us, particularly in Western culture, don't develop that intuitive side so they you know they may have random uh, nudges and pieces of intuition that that you know that come now and then, but it's not something they control. it's not something that they they do whenever they want to and and what they want to. but within consciousness, there is a lot of information there is a the way the the way the I guess this is another thing that my model explains. Uh, in Buddhism, or I guess it actually started in Hinduism, you have a thing called the Akashic records. That's yes. that's an inf- that's a database basically. Mm-hmm. Well, I find there's a database there too, but I can explain where it comes from and why it's there. Okay. The 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 system in order to run this virtual reality has to know has to have a database of all the things that are likely to happen next and the probability that they will happen next. Yeah. We call that the probable future database. Okay. Okay. As time as time goes by, that then becomes past. So you have that past, which is everything that that uh, uh, could have happened, and a thread through the stuff that actually did happen. That's our actual history. But you have all that stuff that didn't happen but had some probability that it could have. So you have this database, this vast database, and it goes out in the future probability and then it goes into the past. And all of that information is available to you as consciousness. It's a part of consciousness. So you can go there and get all sorts of things. You can look at somebody's health and see what's wrong with them. You can uh, get information. You can look at your last life or a hundred lives ago, you can, you know, you can, you can do what if analysis, you can get in that past probable database and say, well, okay, gee, if I had married Susie instead of Jane, because I could have, I could have married either one and I had to make a choice of which one I was going to marry. You know, they oh, weren't, they, they weren't going to let me hang on to both of them. So they made me choose. So I married Susie instead of Jane, but what would the difference be? What would my life have been like had I married Jane? Well, you can go in there and go through that. Now, this isn't something that happened, but all the probabilities are there. So you can look and see what the probability for the outcome of that is, and you can take it out as long as you want. Mm. You know? So you can do what-if analysis. Uh, you know, What if uh, Hitler and the Axis per- powers had won World War II? What would life be like in the United States 10 years afterwards, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, 150 years? What difference would it have made? So, see this—I mean, your imagination is the only thing that limits you as to, as to what really you can do with this yeah. with this database. So it's all available now. All you have to do is to learn to let your intellect go, because your intellect gets in the way. Your intellect wants to judge. Correct. Oh, you know, you know, you hear a voice, and that's your dead uncle Fred, and your intellect jumps in and says, "Oh." Was that, did I hear that or did I just make that up? Right, And your intellect is, starts judging it instantly, which then drives it away. It ruins it because in that intuitive side, you don't judge, you don't analyze, you, you just experience, you just get it. The information is just there. Yep. Your intent in your own consciousness works as the query. It's like a big database and you query the database with your intent. You get information back. Mm. Um, Remote viewing is just getting data out of a database. Seeing auras is just getting data out of a database. Uh, Like I say, looking at somebody's health is just getting information out of a database. So you can learn to, to exercise and develop that intuitive side of you to the point that your intuition is more accurate and more reliable than your intellect your intellect eventually becomes the weak player between the two. Okay. Most of your life you 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 live from that intuitive side because it's got a whole lot more of the answers. It's got a whole lot more information. But then you use your intellect when you need logic, when you need to, like me, build a model, you know, when you need to do things that are scientific. So the best way to be is to be very extremely right brain and extremely left brain at the same time you know so that you have both both processes in your consciousness working for you at that point then you can get in, you can get data out of a database in an instant you don't have to relax and and you know go through this and meditate and get in a good state it's just there and eventually you live in a larger space you don't just live in the physical space you live in a the physical space and some non-physical space all at the same time all the time it's just that's kind of where you're in case you wonder you keep on this path and that's where you'll end up yeah you know, that, that's that's where you'll you'll end up you probably somewhat like that now where the things you need to know just come to you when you need to know them absolutely and uh, you know and that just gets to be a, a bigger and bigger part of your your life where and you don't you don't really quest for it it's not that you go there and you want to see things you know it's not like oh i want to go see the girl's locker room you know wouldn't that be cool yeah i'm going to remote view of the girl's locker room well if you use it poorly like that making poor choices ego based choices fear based choices
0: mm-hmm.
2: belief based choices then your ability is going to get less and less because you're not ready yet and you'll lose it. So it's got its own kind of safeguard mechanisms. But that information's there; it's available to everyone, and it's everything you've ever done, thought about doing. Uh, you know, every idea that's come into your mind, every everything that you've basically uh, that, that defines you is there. So that's you know that's the day that's the akashic records of the of the hindus but it's basically a requirement of the rendering engine to do what the rendering engine has to do because the rendering engine the rendering engine produces new things the measurements of new things things unknown by taking a random draw from a probability distribution of the possibilities so it has to have all those possibilities already computed. Otherwise it's behind the curve trying to compute these things. So that's why it has to produce that that database. For instance, uh, you know, uh, a physicist gets a brand new telescope. We got one of those coming up here real soon. Brand new telescope, better than any. And he's going to look into space further than anybody's ever seen before. What is he going to see? Here's how that goes. The system looks at all the things that could be there this is a virtual reality, so it looks at all the things that could be there and the probability of each one of them, and then it goes into that probability distribution, takes a random draw from it, and that's what that physicist sees, what came out of that random draw. That's yeah. how you, you create that. Now, a simpler idea would be you go in your backyard and you dig a hole. Well, nobody knows what's in that hole. You know, Is it going to be a rock? Is it going to be a root? Is it going to be a you know, if you live down on the Gulf Coast, it's going to be an old gold doubloon from the days when the Spaniards, uh, you know, ran that territory. Yeah. You know, what's it going to be? Well, there's a lot of things that are possible. They all have probabilities, and when you lift that shovel out, the system will show you a random draw from a probability distribution of the possibilities. So that's how things. That's how it computes. Our, our Virtual reality isn't a grounds-up simulation. It's a top-down probabilistic simulation mm-hmm. where the rule set creates the, the, the right probability distributions. But then the actual s- system is run as a probability distribution. That's why quantum physics has to have particles as probability distributions because that's what they are. They're probability distributions. That's their natural state.
1: Mm. Fascinating. Fascinating, Mr. Campbell. Absolutely. Now, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of close things out. But I have another question or two for you here. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, during, you know, uh, my out-of-body experiences, I have, you know, gone to different, I suppose, dimensions. And I've seen what I believe are uh, uh, evil or demonic entities, right? Uh, it seems mm-hmm. like I even saw a demon one time. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen anything like that? And if so, do you think that is something created by the 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 conscious as well?
2: Okay, well, about, I'll answer, there's kind of two questions in there, but first I'll answer, you know, where does evil come from? Well, basically, we have free will. So we evolve by making low entropy choices, choices based on love and caring and cooperation, and we de-evolve by making choices based on fear. Okay, so we do have entities that de-evolve and then continue to de-evolve. And these people become miserable and unhappy and nasty. Okay. So that's where the bad guys come from. (laughs) They de-evolve and they may keep de-evolving until they finally, life is so bad for them that they turn around and go the other way. And the system will try to help them do that. So it's, it's, it's like nobody's ever thrown away as a, as a, as a total, uh, Failure, Oh, well, if, if they are, it's a very rare circumstance because mostly people, as, as you do things poorly and make poor choices, your life gets more and more unhappy, more right. and more difficult, more and more stressed, more and more messed up. Your relationships get more and more messed up. Your whole life starts to, you know, this idea that you have nasty people just having a wonderful life is baloney. Nasty people don't have a wonderful life, right? They're, they're torn. They have demons that, you know, but you know, they're, they're really very unhappy people. So eventually, you know, it's like the carrot and the stick, you know, if you keep doing things and keep causing you more pain, eventually you'll wise up and stop doing it and start going the other way, which is being nicer, being cooperative, caring about people and then suddenly things get better. So That's why we have evil in the world. It's just us making poor choices and a lot of poor choices in a row. Okay. Now, what about when you go out of body and you see these evil things? These things that you see, and yes, did I ever see things like that? Yes, I did see things like that. And what they are, they are embodiments. They're constructs of your own fear. Mm. That's what they are. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) <laughs> you have in your in your own consciousness you have a fear of evil things and what they might be able to do you have a fear of of what you don't understand you know <laughs> particularly when you're out of body and you're not so sure about yourself because this is a strange place and you're a, you know you're kind of a new guy out there and you don't really know what your vulnerability is and that makes you a little worried about you know how vulnerable am i out here and all of that kind of leads to fears and those fears then show up as these evil beings and often we run into these negative beings these evil beings and we have to fight them uh, and we spend a, we spend a lot of time fighting these things right yeah, well yeah that's exactly. that's that's us spending that's us fighting with our own fear okay that's that's what we're doing and you know i did that too i think every male goes through that same kind of process you know because basically that's that's part of our our uh, you know our xy that's what that's what we're made for is protecting mm-hmm. you know that's part of our job we're the guard we're the soldier We protect. We protect our families. We protect our wives. We protect our children. We protect our tribe. You know, and that's very core part of who we are. And we're out there and we have this sense of of negativity and evil in the world. And we see it and we end up having to deal with it. And when we deal with it, we we need to destroy it. So... That's just part of what makes males tick is that, that feeling that, that uh, that's the way we are. So that's your own fear that you're interacting with, your own sense of what's possible, the scary things that are possible, you know, and that you have to deal with those scary things. That's part of your role as a man is to deal with those scary things right, and to keep them from hurting others. So you not only get rid of them just because you're saving yourself, you're getting rid of them because you're getting rid of them for not just you, but for others as well. You're making life safer and better for other people. Right. Well, that's a, that's a part of who you are. And it's the, it's the negativity and dysfunction and wrongness that in your mind is out there. That's what you're dealing with. So, you know, I haven't done that sort of thing in a long, long time. But yeah, when I was the first, I don't know, the first 10 or 15 years, mm-hmm. I did a lot of that too. It's just the way it is. But eventually yeah. you kind of outgrow that and you don't have to go there or do that. And you find out that that's, in a way, it's maybe a little useful because you are using your intent for good you know you're you're doing what needs to be done you're 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 getting rid of negativity and evil things that would bother other people even besides yourself so you create those situations and then you have to do the fight well what that's doing is it just it puts you on you know kind of the right side of that good versus evil so it's not a bad thing to do. It's not like it's useless or something. It it helps build character. It helps put you on the right side. You get to exercise your um your male protection, you know, abilities and drives. And that's good because our life here doesn't give us a lot of that opportunity. Exactly. You know, our the opportunities we have here are not like it was you know 1000 years ago or 10,000 years ago when there was something trying to eat you or or steal your stuff you know every day mm-hmm. you know you had a lot of protection a lot of guarding and soldiering to do that was what you were made it for but today our environment is a lot gentler and safer with all the ugliness that here it's still not nearly as ugly as it was but we still have those same instincts so that's pretty much what's going on there. And it is a, a part of you that is not unhealthy to, to exercise, mm-hmm. but it's coming out of your own mind. And sometimes the larger conscious system will also play that part just to give you something to fight. In other words, those are called fear tests. Oh, okay. You will, The system will give you a fear test because – the way you progress is by getting rid of fear. So if you're being held back by your fear, well, the system may make some some you know three headed uh, monster that's eight feet tall and has fangs that are you know a yard long. You know, come after you, and you'll have to deal with it. And what do you do? Do you turn around and run away? Wrong answer. <laughs> you know, do you do you stand and and deal with it? But eventually, your answer becomes you laugh. And reach out and give it a hug. (laughs) And how about that? It just goes away. It just evaporates. Wow. So that's, uh, (laughs) so sometimes they're fear tests that they're not your own creation, but they're the creation of the system. You know, and out of body is very much like a single player game, right? This is a virtual reality. So you go out of body, you're getting a data stream that's defining a single player game the system wants you to grow and lower your entropy so the system will work with you and it'll give you it'll give you things that help you work toward that goal getting rid of your fear letting go of ego letting go of beliefs so if what you need to do is fight your way through that to exercise your you know your male instincts well then that'll be the that'll be the mode that you'll work through Okay. eventually you'll get you'll get over that and you'll realize it just goes on and on and on. And pretty soon you'll say, hey, what's really going on here? You know, hmm. there just seems to be no end to it. Is that really the way it is or is there something else going on? And then you'll realize, oh, there's something else going on. You know, the LCS is giving me these things in my single player game because I need to learn to deal with it other than Marshall ways i need to deal with it uh, uh better than that so eventually you outgrow the fighting
1: part got it well hey mr campbell you've been such a fascinating guest i've enjoyed your knowledge what you have shared with us and our uh obviously the, the hidden gateway listeners one final request for you sir This is something I ask each and every guest to do when they come on the Hidden Mm -hmm. Gateway podcast, to leave our listeners with what I like to call a token of love, something that they can take forward with them um, as they Mm -hmm. continue their journey, whether it be words of wisdom, uh, advice, whatever comes to mind, our heart.
2: Okay. Well, what I'd like to leave them with is a real simple idea that will improve their their life and their relationships and that is be positive. Always be positive. Okay, now sometimes that that's hard to do, you know, to be positive, particularly when you live in a world that's as that's as big a mess as ours is, you know, right now. It's sometimes hard to be positive. But when you're not positive, when you're angry, when you're upset, you're part of the problem. You're not part of the solution. So, you need to be part of the solution. So, when you think about those people, you know, those dumb people out there, they're just so dumb. What's the matter with those people? You know, get out of my way. Go sit down. Be quiet. You're the problem. And you get upset and you're angry. You're part of the problem once you turn angry. You see, you have to let people be. So, you look at people and you say, okay, that, you know, these corporations, they're using people, they're taking advantage, you know, they're, they're ripping us all off and da, 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 da. You can you can realize that, but realize that they are in the same boat you're in. They're doing the best they can with what they've got. And what they've got is a lot of fear, a lot of ego, and a lot of beliefs. Hmm. And and they're struggling with that. All right. So they're not being very kind. Well, they're not very evolved. They haven't grown up much. But that's where they are. And you can't force them to grow up. They have to grow up from the inside out. You can't make somebody grow up. So you might as well not shake your fist and get angry and get upset. But if anything, have a little compassion because those are not happy people. Those are not people who are doing well. It doesn't matter how much money they have. They're not people who are doing well. They are people who are de-evolving. Mm. They're, going, they're going the wrong way. Now they're going to have a hole they're going to have to crawl out of. So – just look at the world and all its dysfunction and say well that's us you know <laughs> we just are full of fear we're full of we're full of uh, ego we're full of self-centeredness and we're full of beliefs and that's just this is the society we make this is the culture we make for ourselves that's us now how can you change this reality by changing yourself because you're the only one you can change. Starts you can't you. change anybody else. It starts with you, right? What did Gandhi said? Be the change you want to see in the world. There it you is. You need to. You need to be it. So that means be positive. You want to live in a happy, positive world. Be positive. When those nasty stuff happens, well, sure, get out of the way. Uh, you know, don't deal with that stuff if you know it's going to bite. Uh, you know, do the best you can. Be smart about it. It's Not just go happy, go lucky, la la la. You know, walking. Walking through the war zone. That's not what I mean. You need to be, you need to be smart about what you do and, and where you go and how you do it. But you need to not be angry and upset and negative and frightened. You know, like we have all these conspiracy theorists out there, and all they're peddling is fear. They're just peddling fear. Oh, this awful thing is happening. This awful thing, this awful thing will happen. If we don't do this, this terrible, awful thing's going to happen. It's all about the awful things. It's fear. And fearful people latch on to fearful things because they know that the world's big and ugly and scary and they're full of fear. They hear something that's full of fear and they jump right on it and they believe it. They grab hold of it. So if you're in that, you know, if you're kind of in that groove, you need to get out of it. You need to just let all the fear stuff go. All the things that you don't have control over, let them go. The things you do have control over, well, make your choices such that they're low entropy choices, such that everybody wins. Make your choices that, that help everyone, not just you. It's not just about you. Love is about other, not about you. If it's about you, then that's not love. So try to be. Good to people, kind to people, helpful to people, give what you can. You know, your relationships need not to be about you. They need to be about the other person, not about you. And if you can do that, if you can get rid of that fear enough that you can stay positive, then you will find that even in this very unpleasant sometimes place that we live in, life can still be fun. Relationships can be wonderful. There's joy here. You know, we think that there's all this nasty stuff out there because we're addicted to nasty. Anything, anywhere in the world that's nasty, oh, we'll have 10 reporters there and it'll be on in your television set for a week. Huh. We gravitate to nasty. We're, we're addicted right. to nasty. So we see every bad, every negative thing happening. We see it up close and personal all the time. It's in our face. And we begin to think the whole world's like that. It's not. The world's full of a lot of really good people, really nice people. But because they see all this fearful stuff, they tend to be more fearful. And when they are more fearful, then they tend to make poor choices. But most people are really good people. They're just frightened. They're frightened people. So you need to give them a hug. You need to give them a little security, give them a little space, and be nice, because they're scared and they're frightened. Don't mm-hmm. don't get angry with them. So that's my that's my thing to leave for for your listeners is be positive. If you feel yourself ever with a negative emotion, now negative emotions are things like anger, uh, guilt. Um, Feeling inadequate, feeling uh, uh, how can we say feeling uh, unappreciated, uncared for. You're being used. Now, it's not that those things may not be true; they may be true. But if you feel negative about them, rather than just accept them and then do what you can to deal with them, that's what you should do. You do what you can to deal with them. But this feeling negative about them doesn't help. It just makes everything worse, worse and for the most part and for the worst part most part they're not nearly as bad as you think they are because we tend <laughs> right. to dwell on the negative right the happy things oh we have it. it's a wonderful happy moment it's gone the negative stuff uh we run it around it stays and around, around, and around forever we d- we yeah. yeah we dwell on it we we you know we yeah we just uh, won't let go of it hmm. so The world looks a lot worse than it is, believe it or not. As bad as it, you know, we see it's pretty bad. But a lot of good people, and we just have to help them pull the best out of themselves. And we do that by being kind and by being positive. So be positive. You feel those negative feelings. That's your ego. That's your fear. If you don't have fear, you won't feel any negative emotions. You won't ever feel angry or upset. Or anxious Or even stressed You won't feel any of that stuff Things will be all right. You'll just, everything that comes by you Even if it's harsh stuff that comes by You'll just deal with it And it'll be okay You'll accept stuff the way it happens You won't have to manipulate everything You won't have to uh, What uh, Manage everything You won't have to uh, Uh I'm trying to think of the word here. Um, you won't have to control. That's the word I'm thinking of. You yes. won't have to control everything. Right. Most of us go through life trying to control everything to make it come out the way we want it. Yeah. We want to control our children so they grow up and be good kids and happy. We want to control our spouse so they're the way we want them. We want to control the boss so. He sees things the way we want him to see. And we end up trying to control everything in our life. Mm -hmm. And all it does is give us frustration. You can't control everything. A much better way, rather than trying to manipulate and control, is to just let stuff happen the way it happens and then deal with it in a positive way. Now, that positive way may mean push back. That may be a positive thing to do. That positive way may mean leave. Or the positive way may be helpful give somebody a helping hand, but still deal with it positively without anger, without rancor, without being even upset or stressed by it. Just let it be. So that's my – and that all comes out of my theory on on the, uh, the subjective part. If you look at the subjective part of my theory instead of the objective part, which is science, it explains all of this. And how it all works and and what does what and how we interact with each other and where, you know, how you end up with happiness. You don't get happy because you pursue it. Happy is a byproduct of not having fear Hmm. and not
1: having ego and not having beliefs. Wow. Well said. Excellent. Excellent, wise words, and well said. Thank you so much, Mister Campbell, and everyone. My big toe. I encourage you all to get his book. I know it can be found on Amazon, and I would imagine other major uh, bookstores as well, or major bookstores um, online. And what's your website?
2: Um, my website is www dot uh, my. And it doesn't matter whether they're all lowercase or capital; it makes no difference. My hyphen big hyphen toe t o e and and, dot com and that's mine if you want to know where i'm going to be and where i might be talking or courses given or that sort of thing you can go to www.mbtevents.com great and if you want to see almost everything i've done and hopefully this little conversation we're having now will will join my videos there you go to my youtube channel and that's uh you know youtube.com slash twcjr 44 But you can find it if you just Google my name, you know, all that stuff will come up. But one other thing I should mention is that I just put out a new book, a little thin book called Tom's Park, and it's a tool for developing your intuition. You know, I commented that if you develop it, your intuition can be very accurate and very reliable, but you need to develop it. And I teach people how to do paranormal things just so that they experience firsthand the larger reality. Because again, if it's not your experience, it's not your truth. Yes. And I found out that a lot of people have trouble. Mostly their intellect gets in the way and they just have, they just have trouble with that. So I produced this tool, Tom's park. That's an iterative tool. You keep using it and using it and using it. It's not a one-time thing. It's a, it's a, it's a program, a process. And if you go through this process, You'll develop your intuition. You'll develop your intuitive side, and eventually, you'll be able to do the paranormal things just whenever you want to. It's uh, kind of a new idea. I call it. A, it's an imaginality game. You right. enter it with you enter it with your imaginality, but you're basically creating your own VR. Wow! And the larger conscious system will work with you as you go in with your imagination and. You get familiar with it. Your imagination just starts to take off on its own. In other words, you're not, let's say, in a conversation. You're not playing. You're not making up the, you know, the words on both sides of the conversation. Eventually, it just starts to flow. You know, like your out of bodies do. Things just happen. Yes. You know? Yes. And mm-hmm. when it gets that way, then that's the larger conscious system sending you a, a data stream. So you start with your imagination and let that just just transition seamlessly into an out of body that's kind of the way it works but it's all a uh it's a toolset for developing your intuition and that's and called all, tom's park that's called yeah that's called tom's park yeah. and it's just it just got put out it's in um, it's audio in a ebook in a paperback and a hardback and it is on uh, soundwise i guess soundwise.com as an audio product
1: okay Okay. Sound wise. Okay. Well, there you have it. Well, Mr. Kamal, I want to thank you again for being a guest here on the Hidden Gateway Podcast. You are a fascinating person. I learned so much today and I'm sure our listeners did as well. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, we really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hidden Gateway Podcast. Remember, you can always stay connected with us at thehiddengateway.com. If you would like to speak to us, shoot us an email, support at thehiddengateway.com. And do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. And this will conclude this week's episode. Until next time, as always, remember to stay positive, stay questioning, be love, and be free. The Hidden Gateway, out.